Acts 7, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. Good afternoon and Happy New Year. I know it's not New Year's yet, there's still a couple more days, uh, but I love this time of the year because it allows us to reflect, look back at the year, but also to look forward and see what we want, what we want to accomplish, what resolutions we have. Uh, I personally don't make resolutions. I haven't for the last few years. Uh, I just have a really bad or hard time completing them. But I do like the fact that I get to reflect in the past year because I'm not a person who reflects a lot. Uh, and so as I look back at 2018, I have so much to be thankful for. Uh, 2018 was a really good year for me. I know this is not popular to say in this area, but my team, the Boston Red Sox, won the World Series 2018. Uh, even last month, we were able to see seven people be baptized and confirmed. And what a joy that was to see people confessing that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Especially out of the seven people, five of them were students in the youth group. So even young people are proclaiming God to be their Savior. And then I think for me, the most personal one uh, in this past year, three months ago, my wife and I, Esther, we welcomed our very first child into the world, uh, Weston Young One Chan. And so we're really happy. Uh, it's been really hard. It's been really, really hard, but uh, it's been one of the best experiences of our lives. Um, and so I just want to take a moment um, as we reflect on the year 2018. I just want you guys to close your eyes, bow your heads. I just want you guys to take a moment and look back at the year and see how has God made himself known to you? How have you experienced God's goodness, his presence in your life in this past year? So just take a moment to think through everything that's happened, how God showed up. And just take a moment just to thank God and to praise him for those things. God, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning because we need your mercy. We thank you, God, that you are faithful, that even in our times of darkness, even in times of hardship, we were able to see, God, you answer us. And so we, as we look back at the year 2018, God, I know for some of us, it was an amazing year where we could just praise you and thank you for all that you did and how you showed up in our lives. But for some of us, God, it was a really difficult year. But I pray, Father, that in that difficulty, in those hard situations, that we would be able to recognize, God, that you were always with us Amen. and that you continue to be present with us. And so today I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just come powerfully in this place and reveal your mighty works. We pray, Father, that your glory would fall in this place and that we would draw near to you. Amen. I pray, God, that as we submit to your spirits right now, that we would enter into the time of worship even as we listen and look through your word and the Bible and see, God, that you are a God that's for us, Amen. not against us. And so, God, would you meet us in this place? Would you meet us at this time? Would you speak to us? We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. My wife Esther and I just celebrated our three years anniversary back in October. And so as I think about and reflect on our marriage and our relationship, I am so thankful towards God. I'm thankful that she gave me a chance. Like my wife, she's a PK, she's a pastor's kid. So she vowed that she would never marry a pastor, right? But little did she know God had other plans for her. I'm thankful that I would never, I never ever have to date again because dating is hard. I did not like dating at all. I remember how hard it is to just try to get to know somebody, a complete stranger and be vulnerable with them. 
When I first was interested in Esther, I actually didn't want to date her and get to know her that way. I actually wanted to become friends with her first. And so my plan was to put myself in situations and circumstances where I would interact with her. Right? And I, I think about it now, and I'm like, it sounds a little creepy. Right? <laughs> it sort of like comes off as if I was a stalker, but I promise you, I wasn't a stalking her. I just wanted to put myself in situations so I can interact with her and get to know her. And it just so happened that we had mutual friends. Steve, uh, Steve Bang and Doug Cho, right? Great people. They serve in this church. And we had these mutual friends. So every Sunday I would go over to their house. But secretly I would be hoping that she would be there. Secretly I would hope that I could actually interact with her, talk with her, and get to know her. And so every Sunday my plan was to have her notice me. I would dress in my best clothes. I would get my hair done. I would have my hair done all neat. I would try to impress her. <laughs> But apparently, I'm not that impressive because she never noticed me. <laughs> so every Sunday, we would go over to their house, we'd watch Game of Thrones, and after it ended, immediately she would book out the door and go home. For every week, for a couple hours, we were together in the same place. But she never was aware of my presence. <laughs> I think it's the same with God. We have this deep desire to connect with God and to experience his power in our lives, but there seems to be a disconnect. We want God to reveal himself. We want to be able to feel his presence, but yet those moments are so far in between. One of the promises that God has made to us is that he would always be with us. He would never leave us nor forsake us. And yet, why does it feel like God's not with us? Why do we, see, why do we feel so abandoned? Why do we feel alone? Why is it that God seems to be too busy for us? But what if it isn't God who isn't present? What if it was us? Maybe those moments with God are too far in between because there's only certain times where we seek after God. Maybe it's at a retreat or a revival, or maybe it's when we're going through crisis. Many of you have experienced God's mighty power in your life, but what if it was possible to experience him on a daily basis? What if we were to go seek after God, not the next retreat, conference, or on Sunday service, but daily? The good news is that it's possible. It's possible to experience God more consistently and more fully in your life. My hope is that we would desire to experience God in a powerful way daily and that we would fully live into the promises and blessings that he has in store for us. So today we're going to take a look at how we can experience the power and presence of God in our lives. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 7? And we're going to read from verse 44 through 60. Acts chapter 7 Verse 44 through 60. Verse 44. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in the houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or, will, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed the, those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. For the last few weeks, we've been going through the story of Stephen, the first martyr in the church. Pastor David started us off by teaching us that part of Stephen's story was that he was being accused of blasphemy against the law and the temple. And in his impassioned defense, he reminds the Sanhedrin of their history, of their story. In that same way, Pastor David taught us that we also have a story and God wants us to share our story with others. But there's a greater story that we are called to share. The greatest story that we are called to share is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are called to share it with everyone that we come across. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Peter shared with us that in Stephen's defense, he spoke about idolatry. He, was a, he called out his accusers for their idolatry. Just like Stephen's accusers, we need to be careful of idolatry because idolatry is dangerous. When we make things idols in our lives, they can become demons for us. And so Pastor Peter taught us that the remedy to idolatry is worship. We need to worship the one true God. Amen. And today, in the final chapter of Stephen's life, we see that his argument focuses on the temple. Right? The crowd had accused Stephen of desecrating the temple. For the people, they believed that the temple was sacred. It was holy. It was the place that God resided, but it was also the place of worship for the people. But for Stephen, the temple wasn't holy unto itself. In response to his accusers, he says that God has always been with his people doing great acts of deliverance. God was with his people as they carried the tabernacle through the wilderness. God had been with Joshua as they took over the land from the nations. God had been with his people as the place of worship transitioned from the tabernacle to the temple that Solomon had built. Stephen's point is that God has always been with his people. God's presence predates the law, the land, and the tabernacle. In fact, Stephen isn't condemning the temple at all. What he's condemning is the view of the temple that the people had. The people had this view that if the temple existed, if the tabernacle existed, that God would have favor upon them. The moment that that temple or, or the tabernacle were taken from them, then God no longer was with them and he would no longer bless them. The tabernacle and temple were good things. They were constructed according to God's will. But the people had made these good things into greater things. Stephen isn't saying that the people were wrong in constructing these buildings. But they were wrong in thinking that these buildings contained the presence of God and that God dwelled in them. The tabernacle and temple is not where God dwells because God cannot be contained. God's presence is not restricted to a specific location or to a specific people. The Israelites believed that God was only present in the tabernacle and the temple, 
But he has always been with his people, just as he is with us today. God is present with his people always. But we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we'll pray these prayers like, God, would you be present in this place? But God's always with us. We just may not be aware of his presence. There's a difference between God being present and us being aware of his presence. We mistake us not experiencing God for the absence of God. We think that if things aren't going the way that we would like, things, the things that, uh, if we think that if the things aren't going well in our lives, then God must not be for us. But when we think that when things don't go our way, we say that God's abandoned us. Right? And this is dangerous because if our faith in God is based on what happens in our lives, then we will have shallow faith. Just like Pastor Peter and Sunita mentioned last week, this world is full of darkness. It's guaranteed that in this life we're going to suffer. But Jesus Christ came to be the light in the darkness. Our faith cannot be based on what happens in our lives. Our faith must be based on who God is and the promises that he's made to us. And God has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And he's proven that already. God's proven it once and for all on the cross. When Jesus willfully advanced towards the cross to his death, he proved that he was for us. He did what we could not even do for ourselves in saving us from our sin and became the ultimate sacrifice for us because he loved us. If we know that God is for us and he's always present with us, why do we struggle so much to experience him? I think the reason why we may not be experiencing God more fully is because we resist the Holy Spirit. We resist the Holy Spirit. In the passage, there's a stark contrast between those who resisted the Holy Spirit and one who is full of the Spirit. Those who have accused Stephen of blasphemy against the, the tabernacle and condemning the temple was called for resisting the Spirit. Stephen says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit's role is to be our guide and our counselor. The way we know right from wrong is because of the Holy Spirit. The way that we pray, God gives us the words that we should pray, even when we don't know how to, because of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who prompts us to draw nearer to Jesus, but it's our decision to accept or resist the Spirit's promptings in our lives. And our decision to accept or resist the Spirit has a direct effect on whether we encounter God or not. Notice that in the passage, God's glory is revealed in this mighty way, but only Stephen is able to see it. Stephen isn't alone. He's surrounded by this angry crowd, and only he is aware of what's happening. Those who are resisting the Spirit were not able to see this mighty revelation of God. But it was Stephen, full of the Spirit, who looks up and sees Jesus approving and applauding of him. Right? In that moment, Stephen's experience of God was so profound that those who were about to hurt him were secondary. Right? Imagine yourself as Stephen. You see this crowd starting to surround you. Clearly, they're angry. They start to pick up these stones. This isn't going to end well for you. And yet, you are so enamored and in love with Jesus that you pay no attention to it. How amazing it is to experience God, and yet we give it up for lesser things. When we choose to resist the Holy Spirit, 
We aren't just saying no to God. We're saying no to the opportunity to draw near to God and to be in the arms of the loving Father. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you resisting the Holy Spirit? I think one of the major ways that we resist the Holy Spirit is to resist repentance. Repentance is the act of confessing our sin and moving away from it. When we repent, we confess our sins and move away from sin, but also move towards God. We no longer want to keep hurting God. We start to want to honor him. Repentance is not only recognizing sin, but it's the actual willful decision to walk away from it. The power of sin is real. Whether you believe in God or not, sin is real and it will destroy everything in your life. It will destroy your relationship with God. It will destroy your relationship with others. It will destroy your call to be a kingdom builder in this world. Sin is real. Sin is dangerous. And we don't have to look very far to see how sin corrupts everything. This is why repentance is so important. It's when we repent that God restores our relationship with him, with others, and even our call to be kingdom builders. Repentance is the way that we are restored and freed from the havoc and the power of sin in our lives. When Stephen calls out the Sanhedrin for resisting the Holy Spirit, he asks this question. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Historically, the role of the prophet was to call, was to call God's people back to repentance. Whenever Israel would sin and disobey God, God would send the prophet to tell them, come back, I want to be with you again. It was an act of grace. God wanted his people to repent and be with them. But Stephen says that Israel has a history of unrepentance. Stephen uses words like stiff-necked and uncircumcised hearts and ears to describe unrepentant Israel. Stiff-necked is another way of saying stubborn. It's people who are stubborn don't want to change. They want to keep going the way that they're headed. And when he says uncircumcised hearts and ears, he's saying that they are unresponsive, that the Holy Spirit is speaking in their lives, but they are not responding. Experiencing God's presence is to submit to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. If we want to experience more and more of him, we have to learn how to submit to the Spirit. And so here are three ways that we can submit to the Spirit and experience God's powerful presence in our lives. The first, to experience God's presence, we must make Jesus the Lord of our decisions. We must make Jesus the Lord of our decisions. In his rebuke to the Sanhedrin, he calls the people out saying in verse 53, you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Those accusing Stephen are guilty of disobedience. God had revealed his will to them through the law, but they have disobeyed. We know what God wants. He's revealed his will to us, but knowing and submitting to his will are two very different things. When it comes to obedience, it's either we will live the way that God wants, or we will live the way that we want. Obedience is a battle of wills. It's either my will or God's will. To be obedient is to align our wills with God's will. To say, God, you know what's, better, what's best for me, and I trust you, and I'm going to listen to you. And so when it comes to God's will, we can actually divide it into two different categories. The first is, there is God's revealed will, and there is God's concealed will. God's revealed will is his word. 
The primary place where we can find God's will is in the pages of the Bible. It's the Bible that has told us what God wants from us. And this is why it's so important for us to be students of his word. It's so important for us to be rooted in the Bible because that's how we know what God's will is for us. But then there's another, uh, another will. Right? Not every decision we are to make can be found in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us every decision that we are to make as individuals. God's concealed will are those decisions that aren't so clear cut. We know that marriage is sanctioned by God, but we don't know who specifically we should marry. We know that God calls us to work hard and not to be lazy, but we don't know which job God wants us to take or which degree to pursue. There's a lot of decisions that we have to make and God hasn't been so clear cut with them. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is there to help us in processing and figuring out what God's concealed will is. There are many voices that we can listen to, including our own, but it's important that we learn to hear the Spirit so that we can make wise choices. Obedience, like many other things, is something to be learned. We naturally are rebellious. We don't like to obey, but the, but the thing about obedience is the more that we do it, the easier it becomes. When we obey God, we see how good it is to obey him. We see the good things that come out of it, and that gives us the strength and the wisdom to actually continue to do so. When I decided to become a pastor, I thought it was going to be the easiest decision in my life. Not easy because it's, it's not an easy decision, right? I had to come to grips with the sacrifice and the how, how hard it would be to be a pastor. But I thought it was going to be easy in the sense where once I made that decision, I thought my life was going to be smooth sailing. Right? I thought if this is what God's will is and I'm being obedient to it, God's going to just sort of lay out the tracks easily for me. And so I knew that when I made that decision, there was going to be people who didn't agree with me. But what was surprising was that my grandmother did not support me in that decision. My grandmother has been my example of faith. She would wake up five in the morning to pray and to read the Bible every single day. She would go to church early so she could fold hundreds of bulletins before the Sunday service. She was the one who gave me a dollar when I was a child so that I could tithe because tithing as a child is one dollar. Right? She was my example of faith. And not only that, she supported me and sacrificed so much for me. She was there to teach me how to multiply and to add. She was there to welcome me home when I came back from school. She would carry me on her back as she did her chores when I was a baby. And so in the most important decision of my life, she did not support me. And the reason why was she said, I do not want that life for you. Being a pastor is too hard and I don't want that for you. I had a decision to make that day. Do I disappoint the person who has always supported and sacrificed for me? Or do I disappoint God who has made the ultimate sacrifice for me? Choosing to obey God isn't always easy. We make decisions every day. Some of those decisions are easy. Some of them are more complex and difficult. This isn't like changing a job for the sake of your family or breaking up in an unhealthy relationship or even learning to forgive a spouse and to work through the hardships of marriage. These are not easy decisions to make, but we have to decide, is it gonna be our will that's done or God's will? To experience God's presence, we must make Jesus the Lord of our decisions. 
The second way to experience God's presence is to make Jesus the Lord of our circumstances. To make Jesus the Lord of our circumstances. There are two ways that we can look at our circumstances when it comes to God. One leads to hope, freedom, joy, and the other leads to despair. Either God defines your circumstances or your circumstances define who God is. So many of us allow our circumstances to define God. What happens in our life dictates our view of God. When things are going well, God is good and we praise him. When things aren't going well, we hope that we, we think that God can't be good. So much of our view of God is tied to how we experience life. When we get a promotion at work or when we enter into a new relationship, we say God is so good and we praise him. But the moment those things are taken away from, him, from us, we can't see a good God. And it's not just the things that happen in our lives, but the things that happen in life. There are many people who cannot believe in a God who allowed genocide, sexual abuse, and injustice in the world. They see the existence of evil as the absence of God. But just because evil exists in the world doesn't mean that God doesn't. In our view of God, if our view of God is shaped by the evil in the world and our circumstances, then we will end up in a place of despair. Because if life is full of hardships and God is not above those circumstances, then there is no hope. But if we allow God to define our circumstances by recognizing the truth of who he is, then we can experience the powerful presence of God. If we were to see things, the good and the bad, through the lens of a loving God, then we can be filled with hope, joy, and freedom, knowing that God can overcome any situation. That's what we see in Stephen's life at the very end. Stephen was being faithful to the very end of his life. What made the crowd so angry to become a mob and turn on him was that Stephen was proclaiming that Jesus was God. And it was this view of Jesus that causes Stephen to look up towards heaven and see the glory of God as the crowd turns on him. In verse 56, Stephen says, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In his darkest moment, Stephen sees Jesus beside the Father, vindicating and receiving him. He understood that even in this moment, Jesus had his back. There is no despair, there is no fear, there is no doubt on the goodness of God. Instead, in the darkest hour, he experiences the powerful presence of God. Stephen did not allow his circumstances to, to define the God that he loved. He allowed the God that he loved to define the situation he faced. All right, let me say that again. Stephen did not allow his circumstances to define the God that he loved. He allowed the God that he loved to define the situation he faced. In his moment of need, he recognized the presence of a good, powerful, and loving God. What if we were like Stephen and allowed God to define the, our circumstances? What, do we, what would it look like if we allowed God to take control of our situations? I think one of the best ways to allow God to define your circumstances is to journal. Right? I find it helpful that when I'm going through a hard time to journal. When I put things down on paper, it sort of allows me to, to step away and to process what's going on and what I'm feeling. It allows me to take a step back and look at the situation and see, how is God working in here? Journaling allows us to process the present, but it also allows us to look back at the past and see God's faithfulness. By recording what's happening in your life, in the future, you can look back and see, oh, God was there. That God took me out of this place of desolation 
of fear, despair, and he's brought life into me. And I think another way that you can gain perspective and allow God to define your circumstances is to share your circumstances with others. By being transparent and vulnerable with others, you are giving God the space to work in your life because God said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them also. When we can regularly meet with one another and share in each other's burdens, we see that God's provided people in our lives to carry our burdens. We're not alone in it. God shows up and he reveals his presence through others. There are many of you struggling right now. There are many of you dealing with real hardships. But what if, what if you were to look at your life knowing that a loving God can redeem and breathe life into any situation that you're facing right now? Think about the joy and the hope you could experience knowing that God is present with you. Now, this doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out the way that you would desire, but it does mean that you get to experience God more fully. God has a way of showing up and revealing himself in ways that we can never even imagine. If we want to experience the powerful presence of God, we need to submit to the Spirit and make Jesus the Lord of our circumstances. Make Jesus the Lord over circumstances. Now, the third way, the final way, the third way that we experience God's presence is to make Jesus the Lord of our relationship. Make Jesus the Lord of our relationships. There's something so powerful and yet so unnatural about forgiveness. All right, take, for instance, Stephen's last words. He says, as he's being dragged away and is being stoned, he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. His last words essentially are, God, forgive these people who are murdering me. Forgive these people who are killing me. There's something so amazing about these words that we wish we could be like Stephen and have the courage and boldness to actually forgive our enemies. But there's also something so weird about how it sounds that it seems out of place that these would be his last words. Right? It's no wonder Christians come off as weird. Right? But isn't that the point? Shouldn't we be different from the world to the point of being a little weird? Stephen's act of forgiveness is so unnatural that it takes the spirit working in him to bring him to a place of wanting to be reconciled with his enemies. Forgiveness is not easy. It goes against every fiber of our being. We've been told and taught, if someone hurts you, hurt them back. We live by the code, an eye for an eye, and this is taught to us even from a young age. I have a nephew who's two and a half years old, and he's like, he's the sweetest kid, and almost to a fault at times. There's one time um, this past year where he was at school and he was minding his own business and playing by himself when this other kid comes around, wants to take the toy that he's playing with and so he hits him in the face. So Joshua has like these scratches and these bruises on his face and he starts to cry. And so the teachers take notice and they realize what happened so they start rebuking this kid. And so this bully starts to cry. And then in his compassion, Joshua walks over to this kid, strokes his back and says, it's okay. It's okay. Now, who does that? Who consoles his own bully? Right? When my mother-in-law told uh, my wife and I this story, we had two different reactions. My reaction was like, oh, how sweet Joshua is. Well, what a good boy he is. My wife's reaction was, next time someone touches him, he better learn how to fight back and hit him back. <laughs> right? You don't want to mess with my wife. She's a passionate person. She's a loving person. And she, is, she can be scary when it comes to the people that she loves. The natural response to being hurt is to retaliate. But when Jesus is the Lord of our relationships, we seek forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two people or both parties coming together to restore the relationship. Forgiveness is just a first step. And that's what God calls us to. To forgive someone is, no longer, is to no longer hold that offense against them. It doesn't mean that we dismiss what happened. It doesn't say, hey, that never happened. In fact, it's actually to call out what happened, but to say, I no longer hold that against you. I don't want revenge. In fact, I want the very best for you. When we forgive others, we no longer give power to the person or the offense. Forgiveness is liberating. We no longer have to feel the pain and the hurt, but instead we move forward towards healing. Some of you have been deeply wounded, and I understand you're not in the place right now to forgive. But just know forgiveness is a process, and you can take a first step today in that process. For some of you, that may mean working through your pain. Others, it may mean beginning to speak to that person that maybe you've given the silent treatment to. And still others, maybe that means taking the moment to forgive yourself. Some of you have, haven't forgiven yourself for something you've done in the past. You may have done something that you're, that you're ashamed of and you can't let go. But just know this, God has already forgiven you. So who are you not to forgive yourself? When we seek forgiveness rather than revenge, we submit to the Spirit and experience the powerful presence of God in our lives because it's only through the power of God can we extend forgiveness and grace to others. Amen. One of the ways that I've experienced God's presence is through my relationship with my dad. Uh, growing up, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. Uh, when I was about two, my parents divorced, and so he just wasn't around. And so he would come by on the weekends every once in a while, and he would visit. But soon, those trips were infrequent. Those visits were infrequent. And so for a while, I didn't see him. The only times I would see him was when I, became, when I got into middle school. I would actually take, out the tra I would take the train into the city, the 30-minute uh, trip, just to see my father. And that broke me. The very fact that my dad wouldn't make the efforts to come see me, I couldn't understand. How could a father not love his own child to make that effort? And so I started to be filled with bitterness and anger. At, at a certain point, I was just like, you know what? If he doesn't care about me, I'm not going to care about him then. But as I got older and I grew my faith, God showed me that the one area that I had not yet to submit to him was my relationship with my dad. God showed me that I needed to reconcile with him, that I wasn't happy not having a relationship with him. And so God led me to move past my pains and my hurts and to forgive him. It was hard. And I think what helped actually in moving me in that process was to realize that my dad isn't a bad person. He's just a broken person. And just like me, he needs Jesus also. And so for me, you know, I can honestly say that I'm, I am closer to my dad uh, today more than ever before. And tomorrow I'm actually gonna be, I'll actually be going to Boston. And I'm really excited because my son, Weston, will finally be able to meet his grandfather. Like, I'm really excited because I never thought that could be possible. But even more excited than me, my dad's uh, been really excited about meeting his grandson. Now, I, couldn't Im I never imagined that my dad could love someone that he's never met before. 
But he's been constantly calling us and asking how Weston is. How much has he grown? How much does he weigh? Is he tall like you and your wife or me and my wife? He's been so into Weston that he's asking for, our, for us to send these pictures. And he has like one of those dumb phones, so he never gets us. He always asks me to, to, to send it one more time. Like my dad loves my son even though he's never met him. The way that I experience God's presence in my life is through my restored relationship with my dad. But it required me to give the situation up to God, to submit in, in obedience, and to forgive my dad. God did a powerful work in my life, and I believe that he can do a powerful work in your life also. Amen. But it requires some work. You can experience the presence of God in your life by making Jesus the Lord of your decisions, of your circumstances, and your relationships. God is speaking to you today. I believe that. But how will you respond? Are you going to resist the Spirit? Or are you going to say yes to the Spirit? Will you say yes to the Spirit's leading in your life so that you can live fully into the promises and the blessings that God has in store for you this year? Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? God, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful, even in times when we are unfaithful. Just as we look at the stoning of Stephen, God, the people who had resisted you, the people who had resisted your spirit, but we have an example of someone who is full of the Spirit in Stephen. And so I pray, God, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to be like Stephen, to live out our lives in submission of the Spirit so that we can experience you powerfully each and every day, God. May we not chase after you at certain moments of our life, but even now, starting today, God, may we chase and seek after you, knowing, God, that you are present here in this place. And so for some of us, God, that means making some hard decisions. But I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know how you're leading us. Yes, we have your word. We have your revealed will. But I pray, God, in those decisions that may not be so clear cut, that, Lord, the Holy Spirit would work in us and show us, God, what it is that would, you would desire. I pray, God, that even in our circumstances, we would look past, God, what we're going through right now. And that we would see that, Jesus Christ, you truly are the light in the darkness. That we can overcome. That we can overcome any situation because we have you by our side. You promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us and you proved it on the cross. And I pray, God, for some of us who are dealing with broken relationships. God, you can perform miracles in our life. One of the hardest things to do is to re reconcile with somebody who's hurt us. But I pray that you would help us to see people, God, in light of who you are and what you have done on the cross, Jesus, that you are not a God who is broken and beaten by death and sin, but that you are a God who has resurrected and is alive today. And so we believe, God, that you can resurrect any relationship that we have. So help us to make, to take the first steps towards that process, Lord. God, I pray that you would just minister to us right now wherever we are, whatever we're dealing with, may we see God and experience your power and your might and a mighty revelation of who you are, God, today. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your peace. 
Thank you, God, for this past year. As we look forward to the new year, God, may we just continue to seek after you. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you guys could actually uh, take out your communication cards. Uh, inside of it, there are the next steps. And these are just responses uh, that you may want to take um, in light of what you heard in the sermon. The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. This is the greatest decision that you could ever make. And we just want to walk with you and journey with you. If you do check that off, I just want to encourage you to just go to the next steps table out in the hall. There'll be a pastor there just to talk with you about the decision you made, but also to give you resources and answer any questions you may have. But like I said in the beginning, you know, the greatest thing is when people proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if that's you, please check that off. We want to be able to celebrate with you. The second, I will commit to reading through the whole Bible for the new year. Um, part of us understanding God's will is to know his word. And so this is a commitment you may want to make if you are um, focused and committed to actually knowing who God is because we only know God through his word. And so there's a lot of ways you could do that. You can come to Audio Bible Club. You can read the Bible in your small groups. You could do it alone. My wife and I actually do it every night with our son. But there's so many ways that you can engage with the word. So if that's a commitment you want to make, just check that off. Third, I will journal this week in order to process how God may be working in my current situation and circumstance. Sometimes we just need to take a step aside and to be able to look at things and our situation, circumstances in a new light. And so maybe that's helpful for you. Try it out. If that's you, just check that off. And the last one, I will ask for forgiveness from someone I've hurt. I will forgive someone that has hurt me. We can submit to the Spirit through the act of forgiveness. It's a process. May you move towards that process, that step of healing in your life. So if that's you, just check that off.